welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! I'm excited about this morning. Um, We're going to dive into something that we're going to be doing over the next several weeks, actually two weeks. We're going to do a little bit of a mini-series on the book, the first chapter of Jeremiah. Everyone say Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And uh, this two-part mini-series actually was inspired by something that I shared, an experience that I had um, recently, and I shared it on the podcast episode that's coming out on Wednesday. But if you haven't already, I would encourage you to subscribe to the Supernatural Leadership Podcast, if you haven't already. Subscribe, share it with your friends, um, you know, like it, review it, rate it. It really helps in the algorithm get it out there to more people. And uh, we have an opportunity to, you know, weekly, um, bi-weekly, tri-weekly, we release episodes. And so I would encourage you, go out there and uh, subscribe to it. But I interviewed um, a woman who I admire with all my heart, who's been in my life, around my life, really since, I'd say, the beginning of ministry for us. And that's Stacey Campbell. Some of you might know who that is. And she's, uh, she's an incredible uh, mother in the faith. And she hails from Kelowna, B.C. And I was telling her on the episode, you'll hear this, like she is, him, her, her, and his, her and her husband, Wesley, have been very instrumental in very pivotal moments in our ministry and Michelle and I's life. And so I'm just super thankful for her. And, you know, some of the people that I really admired in the beginning of my journey are some of the closest people in my life. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity. That's just, that's just the reward of faithfulness. Relationship is the reward of faithfulness. I don't know if you know that. Successful marriage is the reward of a faithful marriage, faithful in the relationship. And anything in life, when you're faithful and you steward what God gives opportunity for, God rewards. And there's, a, there's favor and there's uh, amazing things that happen as a result when you're consistent and when you're faithful. So I want to talk about Jeremiah real quick here. And for those of you who don't know, Jeremiah was a prophet. Some of them, some scholars would call him the weeping prophet. He was an emotional one. How many know some emotional people? They're probably super creative. (laughs) Some emotional people. Emotions are amazing. Emotions are amazing. They can be amazing guides and they can be amazing slaves, depending on what type of emotion we're living in constantly. And, uh, you know, Jeremiah was this weeping prophet, but he had, a, he had a calling that was really contributing to this. Jeremiah, uh, you know, for 40 years, roughly, had a rough calling because he had to prophesy in the midst of Judah's rebellion and disobedience, worshiping pagan gods. Before King Nebuchadnezzar, who you know, if you don't know, now you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came and ransacked the new, the Old Testament temple, Solomon's temple. 
and took a whole bunch of Hebrew kids with him and a whole bunch of people in, uh, into exile, leaving their homeland. They had to learn the literature and culture of Babylon. It wasn't their culture. They were Hebrew. It was not their culture. And King Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the temple, the Old Covenant temple, Solomon's temple. And Jeremiah was in a time leading up to this prophesying against a people group that weren't listening. So I don't know about you, but how many feel like sometimes in their job, in their career, in their relationships, you're called to something that doesn't seem to be producing fruit. But you don't move because you know you're called to it. How many know what I'm talking about? I mean, you know, you guys live in Quebec. You know what it's like. But here's the thing. Like, if God has called you to something, then he's attached the provision and resource you need to that thing he's called you to. And so when you feel like you're in lack, the question never is, where is the provision? The question is, where am I located? Am I located in the right position to receive the provision that you promised me when you called me? Remember what happened when Adam and Eve fell? The first question Jesus asked them or God asked them was, where are you? If you can't locate your situation, your season, your present circumstance, you're not going to be able to position yourself to receive God's already given promise over your life. Where are you wasn't a question that God needed answered. Where are you was a question that he wanted humans to hear their own answer of. Because if I acknowledge where I am in life, I'm confessing my condition. And if I can confess my condition, I can move ahead and advance into the thing God's called me to. That's why the word, the Bible says, is a lamp unto my feet first and a light unto my path. If I do not see where I currently stand, I can definitely not move forward. I have to see where I currently am so I can position myself to see where I'm called to go. It's a lamp unto my feet, a dim lamp unto my feet. That's all I need, a little bit of a lamp, a little bit of a light, and a light unto my path. It's a, fr- it's a bright future, but I have to see where I stand. So Jeremiah... And about 627 B.C. was called at around 20 years old. And most of his ministry was in Jerusalem. For over 40 years, he's prophesying judgment. Like this judgment prophet. He's got a tough go. He's called to tear down kingdoms and build up kingdoms and do some damage in the spirit. And he's 20 years old and God gives him a call that makes no sense because of his age and stage. How many feel like sometimes God calls you when it makes no sense? The answer should be all the time. God only calls you when it makes no sense. If it makes sense to you, you will use your own logic, own reasoning, and own strength to fulfill it, and you'll lose every time. So he calls you when it makes no sense. You feel unqualified. You feel you're in the wrong stage, wrong age. Someone's called, you feel God's calling you at 70 to do something new. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. God isn't the God of retirement. He's the God of refirement all the time. He's refiring you up all the time, hopefully till the day you die. But it's a matter of acceptance, a matter of surrender, a matter of are you willing to receive when he does shout out the call to you, even if you're 70, to do something new with your life. It makes no sense. That's when it makes the most sense. When it makes no sense, it makes the most sense. You don't have to question it. It makes no sense, God, to do this right now. And God's like, exactly, like, Nothing I do makes sense to you. But you're not living for you. You're living for me. And the reward is in the obedience of when it makes no sense. Because nothing God calls you to do will make sense. 
It makes no sense. The kingdom is backwards. Someone told me not too long ago that I needed to change the logo because our, our, if you look, K and C, K is backwards. There's a reason for that because in the kingdom, the kingdom is backwards. To be first, you have to be last. To go high, you have to go low. Give to receive. Like everything is backwards in kingdom life. If you want to live logic life, you want to live worldly life, then live in the realm of what makes sense. Now, you're thinking in your mind, well, are you saying throw out wisdom? No, I'm, throwing, I'm saying live in the spirit, live in wisdom, God's wisdom, but make sure you guard against the wisdom of the world. And just because it sounds like godly wisdom doesn't mean it's God's wisdom for your life right now. So Jeremiah, he's prophesying. You know, it's, the book of Jeremiah also is called the prophecy of, of, of Jeremiah's. One of the major, major writings of the Old Testament that literally encapsulates four decades of some of the hardest hardest times in the country's history and here he is receiving a call from God I'm going to read it in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 the Lord gave me this message speaking Jeremiah speaking I knew you listen to this before I formed you in your mother's womb well that's enough right there if you're a spiritual person hopefully you no longer if you're a spiritual person you believe in the value of the word of God you will never second guess life in the womb for you to second guess life in the womb ever is to doubt the power of his word you got to make a choice if I knew you before before I put a human costume on you I knew you before I dressed you up I knew you before you were in the womb I knew you we just throw out the second guessing now. We throw it out. No, whoa, 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 don't justify it in your mind. But, there's always a big but in the room. I better be careful about that one. But there is. There's always a big but in the room in our minds. When we speak a truth, there's always a but. What about ABC? I don't know what about ABC, but what I do know about is the word. So God says, heal the sick, and the sick die after I pray for them. Does that change the truth that God wants to heal the sick? Because my experience, there's a but in my experience. Now i got to move the but out of the way. Come on, just say it. I need to move the but out of the way. Just say it. Just get it out of your system. Get it out of your system. Move the but out of the way. Because if you move the butt out of your way, the truth will guide you and the truth will set you free. Because you know the truth. Truth in and of itself will not set you free as a principle. It's knowing the truth when you know the truth. And the way you know the truth is by experience. And that is this. I pray for a thousand people and a thousand people die. die. But then I pray for a thousand and one people and that one person's healed. It all of a sudden becomes an experience because I practice the truth over and over again. Now I have an experience. I know the truth, and in that truth, I'm set free. So the truth is, God knew Jeremiah, 
And he said this because he didn't want him to doubt himself. He was, he was preparing something because he was about to make some radical statements to Jeremiah. This young buck, 20 years old, doesn't have a lot of experience and has lived probably in the realm of comparison saying, you know, well, this guy does this and I've heard about this guy, but I'm just too young. There's no way God would use me like that. And so God says, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you. Listen to this. So I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. So before you were born. So now while you're in the womb, I've already established your call. While you were in your mother's womb, you're like, I didn't have a good childhood. God put a call on you. Now it's up to you whether you respond and you RSVP to the invitation that God has given you to fulfill your purpose in life. It's up to you. It's totally up to you. You can reject God and you can win and you can, you can surrender. It's up to you. That's, that's what true love is. True love is an invitation. True love doesn't force itself on somebody. True love is an invitation. You can RSVP or you can reject the invitation. But just so you know, Jeremiah, before you doubt yourself, I knew you before I formed you, and in your mother's womb, while you were there, I put a mantle on you and a calling on you. So when you doubt after 20, because it's hard, you can remember this word. Because not only, I'm not going to allow you to... uh, there's actually, a, there, you know what, there's actually, and not to minimize something, but you know that all of us at some point in our life commit abortion. We abort our calling. We abort our season. We abort the thing that God's put in our lap, could put in our life, because it's hard. We quit. We abort opportunities. We abort moments. We abort relationships. We leave when it, how many know what I'm talking about? We live in a constant state often of that. I Honestly, 7 out of 10 people when they come to me and tell me, well, God's called me to do this and leave this and start over and quit. 7 out of 10, honestly, this is my opinion. could be totally wrong. It's my opinion. 7 out of 10 people that I talk to, just because it gets hard. They're not leaving because God's called them to. They're leaving because it gets hard. And they justify, over-spiritualize it to make themselves feel justified and okay in doing the thing because they don't want to admit they just quit. Now, God's so good, you're like, well, God bless them. Well, God, God's blessing does not just fall on you because you always do the best thing every time. That's what grace is. It's undeserved. God's grace is being dished out to you all the time. You don't deserve nothing. He's giving it to you all the time. He's showering you every day with grace. And so success or obedience to God doesn't always look like success. You can be obedient to God and to the world, it looks like failure. And that's actually obedience. You hear what I'm saying? Let me say that again for those in the back. You could be feeling like you're failing at something. And everything is screaming at you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and you're disobedient. That actually could be obedience. But because the world has said it has to look like this. It has to, you know, you could be actually on the mountaintop and actually be living in disobedience. Success, the way the world defines it, is not a measure of obedience. It never is and it never will be. You know what is the measure? is fruit. So while I'm in hell, I'm in patience, peace, joy, you know, kindness. I'm in all these and gentleness. That's what the measure of the kingdom is when it comes to success. Is I'm fruitful and prosperous even in a wilderness. Or what feels like a wilderness. So he says here, don't say, or let me go back to 
Verse 6, O sovereign, I haven't made it to the passage yet. Verse 6, O sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I am too young. He makes the excuse. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people. For I will be with you and protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I have put my words in your mouth. Today, this is the hard this is the hard word today. I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. It's a hard word. I mean, I'm like working with negative and positive here. What feels negative, it's actually all positive if it's God. But it feels, as, it feels negative in the sense of this is hard. Like, this is a big mandate. I don't have the education. I don't have the experience. No other prophet mentored me to become the prophet I'm called to be. I mean, at least really, really know of. I mean, there was inspiration. I didn't go through a prophet school. I just have this calling and this awareness. Thank God I wasn't aborted in the womb. Because even people born in some of the most adverse circumstances can prosper because of God's grace. And who are we to decide whether or not someone can prosper in a devastating place. If you, believe, if you believe God's the author, there's not even an argument. If you don't believe God's the creator of life, then there's always an argument. Argue all you want. But as soon as you believe that God is the author of life, there's no argument. So I want to talk today about when he calls us. I kind of say, say it out loud, when he calls us. Because I'm praying for this, for you in this season, that not only would you live up to what he's already put over you or declared over you, but I believe God is speaking to you in this season some new things about where he's taking you. And you're going to need some of un this understanding of how God wants to communicate this stuff to you. His ways are beyond our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. He's beyond our reasoning. He's the God who gives us peace that surpasses our understanding. So when you don't understand it, you can rely on the fact that if God's called you to this thing, you're going to have the peace here even if you don't have the peace here. Everyone wants peace here, but that's not where peace lives. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. So in the Spirit, and Romans 8.16 says that our spirit, our human spirit, bears witness with God's Spirit, Holy Spirit, that we are sons of God. It's in that realm and in that connection point that we will always feel the peace. Not up here. Come on, tap your head and say, not up here. Not up here. Because <laughs> we all want it, right? Like, it doesn't make sense. So number one, write this down if you're taking some notes. I want to I just give you something practical this morning. God, when he calls us, will always declare our calling over us. Jeremiah 1 verse 4 to 5, at the age of 20, roughly around the age of 20, the Lord gave Jeremiah this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet, as my prophet to the nations, as my prophet to the nations. It's funny, I was talking to a pastor yesterday, 
really close friend of mine, and I was just remembering. This is really funny, and I, I didn't, I don't, I don't think I fully grasped the. This is like I was like I think I was like 19, and I didn't fully grasp the the this concept deeply then, but I had this I had this 1992 Topaz. Like it, and I, I've shared it before. I mean, it was like super, like rough and rugged. Like I had a cracked windshield, had no rearview mirror at one point. I had a hole in the floor. I had to wear like a mask, like a nursing mask, because the fumes were so bad. Even though probably it didn't do anything, but psychologically it made me feel like it did something. Just like most of you wear these masks that don't do anything, and you think they're doing something. But anyway, it's another story. But sorry, it's true. Any medical person would know in the room you have to have a certain kind of mask if it's going to actually do anything. But anyways, so, so I, 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 I would wear this mask, and I, I had big, long dreadlocks back then. I mean, big, thick, crazy earrings and facial hair. And I was uh, like in ministry at this point. I was new, brand new. I'd be on the highway. Imagine this sight, you know. I have gas mask on. I have stickers all over my car. I got skulls everywhere. I, was, I had this obsession with skulls. People were like, oh, it's death. It's not. No, you have a skull, so whatever. Get over it. So I was like, I had skulls everywhere, and I stickers everywhere. It was like a surf. I had like a, uh, a, fur, <laughs> a fur blanket in the back, blue and red lights. I mean, it just was weird. I think about it now. I thought it was cool or something then. I don't know. But I just think it was weird. I don't know. And then, like, you know, what actually, it's funny, because before I met my, be, right before I met my wife's father, my car broke down the day before, like forever. And Michelle, I think, was secretly praying because she didn't want me to introduce myself to her father in that vehicle. So the next day, literally, it's happened, and she was the one driving it. I don't know if she, like, stabbed the, the you know, the engine or something, but it, yeah, it's, it's simul- it, it, it coincidentally broke down the day before that I went to meet their parents for the first time. And uh, I remember I roll up in like a nice Malibu that day, and, like, he, and the first thing I got out of his mouth was nice car. I'm like, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's like, because I did not look like the kind of guy you would trust your daughter with, just trust me. But looks are deceiving, right? Never judge a book by its cover, right? You can look the part and be the most deceptive person in the room. You learn that all the time. What's that? God looks at the heart. Exactly. But I don't know why I'm telling you that story. Oh, yeah. Because one of the stickers I had on my car, which it's kind of funny to me now. It's kind of aggressive language. It was this giant. It was the biggest one of them all, actually. It was a giant green sticker that said, fight fetus phobia. Only a few people are laughing right now, but. And people, people were like, people will ask me that all the time, like, why do you have that on your car? It's like so aggressive. And, and I'm just, I'm thinking about this yesterday. I was, it came up. I was actually just going over my, my notes and I was like meditating. And I was praying. And I was thinking about this, this, my car. And I was thinking about this statement. And I just feel like this is God's statement over us from a spiritual space today that we need to fight the fear of the small beginnings. We need to fight the fear of the calling that's overwhelming for the sake of not aborting the thing that God has put in our life. Sometimes fear, almost all the time, fear is the cause of abortion. I'm not talking about medically. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. We fear the next step or we fear the unknown or we fear what might happen to us. 
I was telling Matt the other day, I'm like, or today actually, this morning, you know, it's funny because when in, in, what a pastor friend of mine, we're talking about this the other day too as well. It's like you get to a place, you've been weathered long enough in some form of a ministry context, and I'm just being open and honest, you get a text from somebody that says we need to talk. It's like trauma symptoms come up. It's like PTSD, like pastoral trauma stress syndrome <laughs> manifests. Matt messages me, we need to talk today. And all I can think of is what? What's, what's it about? What's it about? What's it about? Is it bad? Is it good? Like, what's it about? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, it, 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 it like you just wonder, what, what is it now? The power of our words are so important, but what I'm saying is that fear, because of fear, it can abort everything good in your life. You can reject all things good because of what if. Never make a relationship again. Never trust somebody because what if they do what A B? What if they do what they did? So don't get close to people, you know. And fear will push things away in our life. Fear will push opportunities away in life. There's something to be said that if you are living in some form of a pattern over and over and over again, you might be attracting it at some level. And I, 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 can't, I, I can't speak and say it's sort of a general comment because there are seasons like in Jeremiah's life for 40 years. I mean, it was a struggle. 40 years. But there is also a place where if something is being repeated over and over and over again, maybe there's something you need to reposition yourself. I've actually grown the most in my leadership through the most traumatic, traumatic situations in my life. Most painful. I've actually grown the most because I've chosen to find good in it, to find good in it, learn from it, and adjust in position. And hopefully you do too. Because I know a lot of people that are in their 60s, 70s, that are living in bitterness and never decided to pivot, never decided to take any ownership over anything that's ever been done and they just continue living in their cesspool of everybody else is the problem. But their life looks like they're the ones who are the problem at this point. And it's sad because everyone else has moved on, but they haven't. Fear has this way of paralyzing us. So in case you're ever wondering about the sanctity of life, this scripture is here for you. That God knew you. Before you were in your mother's womb, Matt, he knew you. Like, this, this thought, like, meditate, like, this is, how I, this is how I meditate on the word. Like, close your eyes for a second. This is how I meditate on the word. People always ask, like, what's meditation on the word look like? This is how, I don't read the word. I study it and I meditate on it. I don't read it. I don't just go, I'm not saying, I'm not knocking, like, those who want to read it in 365 days. I'm not knocking that. You should read. Not knocking that. But I study and I meditate for the purpose of experiencing the truth of this stuff in my life. Because I know by reading it, I'm losing half of it. Just to say I did it. Let's just be honest. Some of it's ego-driven. I did it. Did it in a year. Great. How has it transformed your life? I don't know. You, you can answer that question. Just close your eyes for a second, though, and think about this concept. Think about two things right now. Think about what's hard right now in your life. And how you want to give up sometimes and how you want to quit. You want to move, get out of Dodge, get out of Ottawa, get out of wherever you live and 
Quebec or whatever city you live in. You want to get out. You want to get out. You want to move because it's hard. You want to go to Texas where it's free or Florida or wherever else you want to go. I don't know, Bali or whatever. You just want to move. You want to get out sometimes because it's just hard. Everyone has these feelings, okay? Keep your eyes closed. And then think about what you're called, what God's called you to maybe five years ago, ten years ago, three years ago, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And then think about the scripture. I knew you before you were even in your mom's womb. Like, I knew you. I knew you. And then when you were in your mom's womb, I put a calling on you, and I appointed you. So, Sean, when you're, when you're in that place, you want to give up. You want to quit. Everything feels hard. It doesn't feel, like, successful in the eyes of the world. Like, I put something on you before you ever even believed in me. I put something in you before you ever even knew me. I knew you before you knew me. And you think about this, and you, you process this, and you focus on this, and you meditate. That's how you meditate on the word. And you just go, and then you pray out of that place. God, you knew me. This is hard right now, but you knew me. You knew me before, and you put a calling on me while I was in the womb. You knew me. You put a calling on me. God, thank you. There's a calling on me. Right now, I feel fear. You called me to do this, but I feel fear. I'm 20 years old, and, and I feel fear. Jeremiah's thinking this. I feel fear. I'm too young. Can't do this. But God, you knew me before I was in my mother's womb, and you put a calling on me. That's how you meditate on the word. Are you with me? This will change the way you approach this text. This will change, and the text I mean the book, the bestseller of all time. This will change how you look at the book. You get into an experience. I remember when at my commencement, I know they do things probably different now at my commencement, for high school, I got up on the stage and I said, because they would ask you, like, what do you want to do with your life? And I was confident I was going to do music with my life. Like, that was my thing. And I had not yet had this encounter with Jesus yet. And I got up on the stage and said, I said these words. I'm going to move to the U.S. This is what I said. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move to the U.S. I'm going to become a rock star. That's what I said out of my mouth. And at that point, I'm just like, that was everything I was in a sense. Like that was, that was music. That I was ready to do it. And then literally within months, I have this encounter with God that changes everything for me. But the crazy thing is I declared this over my life. And I went from doing certain types of music to now I'm now at 19 years old, actually living in the U.S. and touring, doing worship music. Like, I had no idea that that was going to happen. But I declared it. There's power in your words. We were singing it today, right? Out of my mouth. What was it? Miracles will happen now? I don't even remember now, but it was good. What was it? Miracles were bigger. Out of your mouth. We want to reap things that we've never sown with our mouth. Or we want to cancel things that we've sown with our mouth. Your mouth has power. The power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, verse 21. There's power in the tongue. It's life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So he calls us. He declares our calling over us like he did Jeremiah. Number two, write this down. He directs us. He directs us, Jeremiah 1, verse 6 to 8. He calls Jeremiah. He reminds him of how he knew him, called him in the womb. And then this is what Jeremiah says, O sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. How many have ever made an excuse to God? 
I do all the time. I remember when I first started feeling God was calling me to, to what he was calling me to, I was really scared. I was, like, really scared. The things that I would see, like, myself doing as a 19, at 19, I, I would go into these visions of seeing my future all the time. And I would, I would I'd be so scared. The one thing I never saw was leading a church. He's, God's like, ha-ha, I never show you that one. You would have been really scared about that one, but. But but I, I I I would go into fear and God had to work this revelation in me because when we make an excuse, he directs us, he pastors us, he guides us. God said to him, Don't say, don't say I'm too young. Don't say I'm too young. Don't say I'm uneducated. Don't say my life is not perfect. Don't say you don't know my failure, you don't know my past. Don't say well, I failed over here, so I'll fail again. There's no way I'm going to prosper here. Don't say. I think if there was a word over our lives that would be repeated all the time, it would be don't say. Because so many of us say things that get us into a place of fear, which causes a spiritual abortion in our life. Don't say. Don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Like he's pastoring so graciously Jeremiah here. Go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. He's directing Jeremiah's attention. He's redirecting Jeremiah's attention. He's guiding Jeremiah's attention in the right direction. And don't be, verse 8, don't be afraid of the people. There's so many don'ts in this. It's like because God is anticipating all the things that are going to go on and are going on in Jeremiah's heart. Don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. I love this promise. God, I just pray that you would give us, um, remind us in this season about all the excuses that we've made. And I pray that in this season we'd hear these words echo in the very fabric of our spirit. This don't say. Like, like guard your mouth. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Moses did the same thing with God. But I can't talk. I have, a, I have a speech impediment. God calls Moses to do the unimaginable with Moses feeling like inadequate and I can't do this. People won't listen to me. I can't even communicate. Don't say. I remember when, um, I don't know if I shared this last week. Now I'm like foggy on it, but I, I remember when I was used to go to this camp. Did I show this last week? I used to go to this camp, and it was, uh, I, I was invited to it. This is back when I, like, I was relatively new in ministry. Like, I only had maybe four or five years under my, my belt, but I still had the dreadlocks. I still didn't look the part. I still was judged all the time everywhere I was. I would get strip searched at, at customs all the time. People never believed that I was going where I was supposed to go for what I was doing. They always thought I was a drug dealer. Literally strips like I mean this is it gave me like anxiety going over the border. Even I, I had a, a religious visa at one point and they still doubted me. People would say like why can't I, look at the t-shirts you wear? How these metal band t-shirts back in the day like and like well, look at all your t-shirts. How how are you a minister? It would always open up good conversation. I've had like all kinds of stuff. I, I mean the craziest things happen. So I 
but back then, this is, this is the state I was in, and I still had, like, the look, that, that aggressive look. And uh, I was asked to speak at this camp where the majority of the people were, like, over the age of 60, between 60 and 80. That was, like, the average people, like, the average age. There was, like, no younger people whatsoever. They were young in heart, but no in age, younger people. And I was like, God, thinking in my mind, why are you asking me to speak here? Like, I just feel like these people have been saved longer than I've been alive. Like, what do I have to give? And I kept hearing these words over and over again, don't say. Because if I've called you and I've presented you with opportunity like this, you have something they need. You just have to believe it. You ever been in a situation where you're put in a, a situation and you're like, I can't believe I'm in this situation? I remember this, but we remember we did the egg drop? So those are, that are still with us today, because we offended so many people that did it when we, we did it. We dropped like, like a, a hundred thousand uh, or 55,000 Easter eggs with over a hundred thousand pieces of chocolate with like two and a half thousand prizes and like three, th- it was all kinds of stuff. It was crazy. It was a big day. We had like 18 global, like 18 local business sponsors. It was a big deal for the 150th celebration. We had 5,000 people register in five days of social media advertising, had to shut it down. But I remember in this, in this process, when we were doing this, it was just for Easter, just to bless our city. Matt's like, we need to have a meeting with the city. Remember? And I almost didn't go. Because I didn't really even know what it was about, right? And there was all, I, we come to, the, we come to this, this table, and I wasn't ready. Like, I didn't not look. I don't even know if I, like, you were, like, anything in your scrubs from, like, construction or something. We didn't really know what it was about. We just, like, we were all were meeting, talking about the event. And they haven't even really approved it yet. And I come into this room... And, like, there's, like, city councilors in there. There's, like, bylaw representation, police, fire, uh, Air Force. Uh, I mean, all these, like, the, and I come in, and I'm like, what is, what do we do? Like, I literally had no idea. So I was, like, the main, like, head of this whole organization. I sit down. They're all in laptops and taking notes. And they're, like, present your, your thing. And how are you going to, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, God, I have no, because at that point, we hadn't even had the full plan yet. And I was literally thinking in my mind, I know God had called us to do this event. No matter how much it cost, I knew that it was like God, God called us to do it. And so I'm in it, and I had to like rely in this moment that God was going to give me the words. And I'm telling you, sometimes you have to just, this is, this is actually a good lesson of leadership for those that actually want to grow in leadership. Leadership has nothing to do with what you feel, but everything to do with what God's put on you and in you. And to access it sometimes, it can feel like not authentic. It can feel that way. But leadership is not a feeling. It's being responsible with a responsibility. It's like, I don't always feel like a father, but I have to act as a father when I'm fathering. You get what I'm saying? Like, I don't always feel like, oh, I want to be a father right now and clean up this entire mess. Like, you know what I'm talking about? But I, I act in my position. I act in my responsibility. I act in the calling over my life, and, and things begin to happen. It's the grace. And I remember in that moment, like I was at this camp, having to believe that God put me there, and I just began to talk and sell them this amazing vision. And it worked, right? And it worked literally. And I had to trust God deeply that if God has called me to this, I have the words to say, and I can be confident even though I have no idea what I'm doing. But I was so confident in that, in that meeting. I came out and I was like, I don't even know what I just said. But hey, <laughs> they seem to be excited. 
I don't know what I said. But I remember that event, all these city councilors stood on the top of one of the buildings at the Aviation Space Museum, and they were taking notes, and they said to me and our team, I've ne we've never seen a more organized event of excellence in this city ever. More than Canada Day, more than the Coors Light Festivals, more than they were so impressed by our team culture, how everybody represented the culture, they were like blown away. And even the people that came, I got videotape of them saying, I've, we've never encountered such amazing team members on any event we've ever been to in this city ever. So you just don't know what opportunities you're aborting in your life because of fear, because you don't believe God's put it in you. You just don't know. So he directs us and he guides us. Number two, or three, write this down. We're almost done. We're going to get the team back up here. We're going to close out. Number three, he lays out the mission. He lays out the mission. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9 to 10 says this. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I have put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot, tear down, destroy, and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. He lays out your mission. I know that I, I'm just going to speak from my personal experience. You have a different responsibility and calling. I know that I'm called to many things, but I know one of my main callings is to build up and strengthen the body of Christ overall. I know that. I've never doubted that. I didn't always know that until I knew that. Until I heard it. Until I knew God was calling me to it. And I was thinking back to, I remember, and maybe you can do this too, I remember one of the first ever, like, detailed prophetic words ever given to me about what God had put on my life. I remember where I was. I was 19 years old. I had words, but not like this. I was at a church in our city here at a conference with a man named Graham Cook. I don't know if you've ever heard of Graham Cook. And I was at a conference, and I'd never, I'd heard of him, and I had some of his cassette tapes. Actually, I still have all of his cassette tapes to this day. I have no way to play them, but I have all his cassette tapes. And I, and I, and so I went to this conference, and we did this, and I'd never done it before, like this. We did this thing, this activation, where we got into a group of people, and we all got words for each other, and then wrote them down and gave the words to the individuals. And here I am, I'm still like this musician, there's no way I'm thinking I'm going to, you know, be a speaker, you know. Uh, this has never been a thing, and never going to communicate. I always said to people, I never speak behind a mic. It's not my thing because I grew up with a stutter, speech impediment. There's no way. And then I got healed of my baptism. Some of you heard my story. There's no way. But I still was in that space. I don't know I don't know what ministry looks like for me, but I'll do the music thing. And I was sitting there, and this guy gave me this word. He said this, and it, it, just, it always stayed with me. He said, I see you as a mechanic, and you're under this vehicle, and you're whistling while you're fixing this vehicle. And you're really under there, and you're, like, really working at fixing the vehicle, and you're, you're whistling. There's a peace about you. There's a grace on you. And God's going to give you a supernatural grace to fix problems within the church. He's going to give you a grace to tweak things and, and, and alter things and bring health. It's like a mechanic, you know, making the car ready to run 
more effectively. There's been some things that need to be tweaked and fixed and altered. And he saw me, and I knew it had to do at that time. There was, you know, music was a part of this, and I, th- I still believe that music is a part of it. But I remember feeling so impacted by that word, but really not fully understanding there was more to it, the, the ramifications of that word. And it's still unfolding today. Your calling is still unfolding today. The things God's spoken over your life are still unfolding today. And the fact that you're still here means you haven't given up on whatever it is God's called you to. Whether it's the marriage, the family, whether it's believing for this thing for your daughter, your son, your, I don't know, your coworker, your career, your future. I don't know what it is for you, but you're still here today. And there's still more for you to fulfill. And, and if God's given you a promise, it never quite ends until the day you die. And in fact, it doesn't even end when you die because it gets passed it's on to the next generation. It becomes champion. their platform. Your promises, whether they're fulfilled or unfulfilled, get passed down to the next generation. That's why there's so many similarities in generations often because your platform or your ceiling becomes their starting point, their foundation, their platform. I want you to stand up with me. What scary mission has God laid out for you? Because it should feel scary. What scary thing has God called you to in this, this season? I mean, we know that Jesus Christ really fulfilled the mission of Jeremiah in the sense of he uprooted stuff. I mean, he was the one who fulfilled the law. He's the one who literally rebuilt the new covenant temple. In his death and resurrection, he rebuilt the church. But this time it wouldn't be with bricks and mortar. It would be with people. It would be with people. That's why he said, this thing's going to be torn down, but rebuilt in three days. How many days was he in the grave? Three days. When he resurrected, what he did was he ascended. When, when, when he ascended, he left some gifts to the people of humanity. You're the church. You're the bricks. You're the bricks and mortar. You're the walls. You create the space for me to do what I want to do in the earth. You are the what is called the ecclesia, the called out ones. No longer is it about a building. It's about a people. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Against who? You. Because you are the church. This is the calling. And Jesus fulfilled Really the mission of Jeremiah on the cross in his death and in his resurrection. And if you are in this room and you've never said yes to Jesus or opened your life to Jesus, it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. And I want you to close your eyes just for a second. If you don't know what would happen to you if you were to die today, you're on the fence. Maybe you're searching. You're searching for truth. You're searching for life. You're trying to figure out what it looks like to have a relationship with God. All you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is get off the fence and say yes. Confessing that Jesus is God, he is Lord, and believing in your heart that he was raised from the dead is simply an invitation starting point by decision to come into relationship with the one who created you with a purpose. So Holy Spirit, today I pray for everybody in this room that may not know where they stand with you, but today they will. As they let you into their life and say yes to you, surrendering their life to you in Jesus' name.